Welcome to 172. This is a podcast where we interview 172 inspiring people of color to commemorate the 172 reported black lives lost to police brutality. Through these interviews, we explore the themes of systemic racism and how it's embedded within our culture and society. But most importantly, how our interviewees overcame these adversities despite all the odds against them. These inspiring and touching stories truly ground the audience in the realities many American minorities encounter every single day. These same stories, though, uplift our audience. They remind the audience that despite all the narratives, all the stereotypes, despite the mechanisms of social norms squeezing them into an unnatural mold, human potential prevails. Their human potential reflects resilience. Their personal triumphs show how we can embody our own identities while accomplishing our aspirations. They truly reveal how anything is possible, even in a world that wants you to remain silent. This is 172. Today we are interviewing Jade, a 17-year-old Dominican Filipino American born and raised in New York City. She's attending Yale University in the fall, where she plans to study the intersections of mathematics and astrophysics. Throughout her senior year, she was admitted to nine of the most prestigious institutions in the country, such as Stanford, Columbia University, University of Pennsylvania, just to name a few. With the current state of our country, she has decided to take initiative and offer college admissions advice in exchange for donations towards the Black Lives Matter movement. She considers herself far from unfamiliar with what it means to flourish in environments not intended to cultivate her successes, and she hopes that this encourages you to dismantle the systems that have oppressed and impeded you from achieving what you want. This episode is in memory of Antoine Rose II. Please welcome Jade. Yale has been my dream school since maybe like eighth grade. I, I visited with my parents and it felt like the place for me. So I that constantly was the goal to get into Yale. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I was happy to get into any of those institutions and there because they're all really amazing. And um, I'm not gonna deny the fact that like me going to a community college versus me going to an Ivy will impact my future significantly. It, it's, it's not that a community college is somehow like less than an Ivy, but um, I think that it definitely opens more doors for me to go to higher institutions like Ivy Leagues. Um, I think that what encouraged me to keep pushing for Yale and all the other schools I got into, the idea that I'd be around people who would, um, have really effective discourse with me and have people that are equally as motivated to attend school and to learn Um, because I mean in high school everybody's sort of apathetic and like they just want to like get their classes done and um, to attend a place where like everybody really really wants to be there that that was my main goal. Yeah, it's just so evident in your story that like you have um, a passion for learning that's so natural and genuine. And when there's kind of like that phrase that like today's education system is no longer about learning, but it's about passing. It seems as though you really embody the exact opposite of that phrase and you kind of cherish this natural like nutrition for learning. And I guess 
let's talk a little bit more about your application process and kind of this idea of affirmative action and how you kind of encountered, I guess, what you, would you classify everyone kind of, I guess, solely pinning your acceptance on affirmative action as a sort of a racial microaggression and just kind of elaborate on that? Um, so for context, I entered high school as the Trump administration came into power. So um, he was the one that said like, affirmative action was going to be like repealed from like so Obama instilled affirmative action and then Trump was like nah we're not gonna have it so um for a lot of my friends who had similar goals of getting into Ivy's and were all people of color so they, they were they were kind of upset because um they were like how am I gonna get into these schools now right and I think I had to sit down with them and be like you're equally as smart as the other white kids who are applying to these institutions. So like, please don't let your, like you dumb yourself down and rely on some, like rely on your race to get you into these schools. And I, I'm also not gonna deny the fact that like, um, a certain SAT score coming from my zip code versus somebody else's zip code in on Fifth Ave or something looks way different. Right. Because we had different struggles. So, um, like a 1200 from from me may look like a 1400 because of where I live and where I come from mm-hmm. and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny that and there's definitely things racially that that I struggled with through high school that a white kid didn't but that that doesn't take away from our intelligence and our work ethic and and everything that we accomplished in high school definitely Definitely. And I guess, what do you think that says about home life and the education system? I think, I think that, um, it's all kind of bullshit to me because I I have, so, so for, I just want to like break down my, my high school for you. Go ahead. We're, we're mostly black and brown people of color. Um, and I think we were about 5% white people. So, and I feel like the, the main white people I interact with on a day-to-day basis are my teachers. Um, and a lot of my teachers kind of like relay that that mentality onto me. I, I think I remember in my junior year, I was taking a push and my teacher had said to me, because I didn't watch a movie, he wanted, a, it was, it's a really long story, but basically he wanted us to watch like eight hours worth of movies over one night. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have the mental capacity. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had told me because I didn't watch that movie that I wasn't going to go to college. And like, for you to say that to like a black person, like, especially coming from your privilege of being white, it's just way different. And a lot of my teachers perpetuate that too. I remember another instance, um, a lot of kids were skipping school in, in, the, in this year, in our senior year. Um, and it's obviously not good to skip school, but we're seniors. Like, what can you do about it? Um, and there's this one kid who recently moved in from Morocco. And one of the teachers had the audacity to say, why would you even come here if all you're going to do is skip? Like, you have no place ever to say that to a student, one. But it looks even worse because of the fact that you're white talking down to a person who just immigrated here. You, you're fourth generation in American, like, come on. Right. 
I, I just think, and it's really difficult because you can't correct these teachers mm-hmm. or else they'll get really, really upset. Even recently, I found like having discussions about the Black Lives Matter movement and all the protests and stuff going on with my teachers. Like yeah. I found myself having to defend myself rather than having like a productive conversation. Like mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't have to defend myself about looting and things like that. And I'm not, I'm not the advocate for all Black people either. Like I, I hate when they make you the advocate for all Black people. Like, like but you're like the token image right. rather than just you are trying to speak for not representing everyone but just adding to the voices you're trying to amplify the movement Mm -hmm. and i think everything that you are saying is something that is fairly evident in today's educational system and it just kind of reflects how your ignorance blinds you to the gravity of other people's perspectives and other people's lives and you know even though i feel a lot of people get very logistical when it comes to the education system, but people cannot thrive in an environment where they do not feel accepted and where they do not feel welcomed. And if we can't embed a kind of principle of empathy, of empathy within the education system, then it's almost as if they're setting us up for nothing already because you're not, you're not nurturing an environment that's healthy for us to learn and healthy for us to thrive in. So I guess what would be like, I guess you've kind of told us a little bit of your experiences with your high school career. What would be, I guess, your advice and your tips for bettering the educational system? I think that one, there needs to be more people of color teaching black and brown kids it, it's really, it's really, again, like you said, there needs to be a level of empathy and empathy comes from a place of understanding. Right. So to have a white teacher who, who like lives in Bronxville, teaching kids who are coming from Harlem, who are coming from Woodside, really low income neighborhoods, mm-hmm. um, there, there's, there's sort of like, like a wall b- built between them already. Right. So I feel like one, there needs to be way more black and brown teachers in New York City public schools. Two, um, I do think that NYC schools are extremely segregated as far as like who's going to what school. Like the fact that um, there can be one school that is dominated by one race kind of baffles me because New York City is supposed to be such a diverse place. Uh, my school, I think, I think it's like eighty something percent Hispanic. Even, even in my school, I mean, Spanish culture in 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 and of itself, as you know, has a huge anti-black mentality. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. So even right now in the Black Lives Matter movement, I've had I've had to fi- like find myself like calling people out. Yes. Being like, bro, like, so you're gonna say the N word more than I do as a black person. And you're not gonna use your platform to amplify my voice, to amplify other people's voices, to donate because I know they have money to donate. Like I've had to press people and apply pressure simply just because like, I'm not gonna perpetuate this mentality. Like I'm not gonna let myself be part of the cycle. It just, it's it's really disgusting to me. And like, I feel like a lot of kids in my school, especially in New York City culture, they think it's okay to say the N-word and to, um, how do I say, like, fetishize Black culture. 
because that that's the culture in New York City but it's not okay it's really not okay and it makes me very uncomfortable when I have to sit there and hear them say the n-word and then them get mad at me when I call them out right right it's like a deal of cultural appropriation and I think you're kind of touching on the subject of like the facade of New York. I feel like New York kind of has this facade that's like, you can become as successful as this person and you can have your own office in the skyscraper and look above the horizon. But that only applies for people who meet the check boxes, for people who meet the criteria. So have you seen that personally in your own life? Like how, or is that just something that's kind of like in the back? Yeah, um, so it, it's kind of fucked up, but like, I feel like for high schoolers, what they do to, to try to get us to college is they, they, get in the, they get in these like Wall Street, like um, bankers and whatever, and, and lawyers from like Simpson and Thatcher. And like, like they try to get us to aspire to be them. When they're almost always white who come into the school, like they're, and they're almost always men. Right. So like, how can I aspire to be like, a rich white man I, that's, <laughs> like, I, it's not gonna happen <laughs> um and even even in in the um my fellowship the opportunity network like like no shade on them like they truly they're amazing people but sometimes they bring in these these white people for us to meet and like it's really hard to think I can become them mm-hmm. um then again they do bring in people of color from similar positions so it definitely helps when when you see a person of color or a woman in, in a position that you think that you might want to uh, attain in the future because it makes it, it makes it more tangible to, yeah. to because there's somebody who looks like me in the position that I want to be in mm-hmm. but when I see like white people like it, like like you said um like in the skyscrapers and like I I can't that that doesn't feel like it's ever going to be me yeah Right. And let's talk about the argument that what I hear a lot of people say, like, as I completely with you when you're saying we need to implement more people of color within our education systems and within positions of authority so that people can say, hey, this is possible. I can do this. I hear a lot of people combat that was saying, oh, that's just as equally racist. So, yeah, it's kind of a little bit ridiculous. No, I can't. Honestly, the reverse racism, come on. <laughs> like come it's on. not the same. Like racism comes from a place of prejudice and privilege, right? Mm-hmm. So when you claim reverse racism, you have the privilege, you have the power. You can't be racist to somebody who has the power because they're the ones that have the power. Exactly. It's, like it's really not that hard to understand. I'm hearing like even Yale kids, like in in group we have uh, mm-hmm. an app called Group Me, um, and like there's a bunch of different little group chats. Like there's a political discourse group chat. Um, there's like a leftist support group chat because like we're tired of hearing all the people who are alt right like shit on the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and in one of the political discourse group chats, one of the kids like claimed reverse racism and was like white more white people get killed by by police than blacks every year in in the midst of george floyd and brianna taylor and all of this heat and we were all like dude for a lot of white people to say like oh well that's reverse racism it's like you don't understand 
the gravity that that holds that it that that image holds for someone of color because that just reaffirms in them that anything is possible and like i bet that they don't feel the same when you were saying before when they have all these like white rich white males come in and kind of like try to uh just like say this is what you can do these are the possibilities they don't feel attacked they don't feel like this isn't what i want to do and i'm not saying representation meaning that this is a system that doesn't want me here yeah they're not feeling those same emotions and it just shows how much that we need to really install this this principle of empathy because i really think that with empathy you can ground yourself in the perspective of others and understand their own adversities and tribulations and really maybe potentially erase some sort of racial dogmas that we have embedded within our own society. So, I guess let's talk a little bit more of the initiative that you started and what inspired you. Um so one of my dear dear friends Tenzin Yamgal, she's a Stanford class of 2024 did something similar of um with donating um like proceeds to Black Lives Matter um with college advice and a lot of people have been asking me for college advice being that I got into all these amazing institutions and I was thinking about charging them for it in in the first place because I feel like I have valuable advice yeah. um and honestly like I don't need the money I'm really fine like like thankfully um covid hasn't thrown my family for a loop um so I just feel like I I don't have I don't have any other money to donate from my own pocket so using my advice and turning that into um something that can contribute to the movement is the, the thing that I wanted to do and I also felt that it was really important for people to see a, another black girl getting into these institutions and I wanted to teach other people how to get in because I don't want to I don't want to stop at me in, in especially in my school and like in my community I don't want to be the the poster girl for it all like I want I want it to be a, a repeat process if you could leave a lasting image for anyone who feels lost and unheard right now what would be your words um i think i'd say one please don't be scared to prioritize your own peace um for me at least and for a lot of my friends this has been the most mentally taxing weeks of our lives and um it's been really really hard to like step away from social media and step away from a conversation with your mom about this and step away from all of these things to focus on yourself and do things that you enjoy because you feel like there's more important things to fight for than than your own peace but um if you feel unheard and and if you feel lost in these times please don't be scared to focus on yourself and you are being heard everything that you put out into this world somebody is reading it and somebody is resharing it and somebody is sending it to their fucking pet rock like somebody is hearing you um and like just building off like prioritizing your own peace um it's okay to step step away from protests if they get too intense for you don't feel like you have to be the one that got arrested in it um just continue again prioritizing you and your own safety and your own peace of mind